0: Shall we shoot, said Faramir, turning quickly to Frodo. Frodo did not answer for a moment. Then, no, he said. No, I beg you not to. If Sam had dared, he would have said yes quicker and louder. He could not see, but he guessed well enough from their words what they were looking at. You know, then, what this thing is, said Faramir. Come now, you have seen... Tell me why it should be spared. In all our words together, you have not once spoken of your gangrel companion, and I let him be for the time. He could wait till he was caught and brought before me. I sent my keenest huntsmen to seek him, but he slipped them, and they had no sight of him till now, save Anborn here, once at dusk yester-evening. But now he has done worse trespass than only to go coney-snaring in the uplands. He has dared to come to Henneth Anoon, and his life is forfeit. "'I marvel at the creature, so secret and so sly as he is, "'to come sporting in the pool before our very window. "'Does he think that men sleep without watch all night? "'Why does he so?' "'There are two answers, I think,' said Frodo. "'For one thing, he knows little of men, "'and sly though he is, your refuge is so hidden "'that perhaps he does not know that men are concealed here. "'From another, I think he is allured here "'by a mastering desire, stronger than his caution.' "'He is lured here, you say,' said Firomir in a low voice. "'Can he? Does he then know of your burden?' Indeed, yes, he bore it himself for many years. The Way Lesser Inklings podcast attempts to pay homage to the great writers, thinkers, and philosophers of the 20th century known as the Inklings, and to try to inspire a love for reading literature and finding the good, the true, and the beautiful in the written word. Welcome back to the Way Lesser Inklings podcast. My name is Josh Rice. I'm one of your co-hosts, and with me again is my brother, Jake. Hey, there he is. It's always a it's always a tough thing to, doing this over the uh, the telecast the webcast kind of thing where we're not in the same room. Um, today we're going to get into the chapter that's called the Forbidden Pool. It's one of the shorter chapters in the story, mm-hmm. but I'm really excited for this one. I really really liked this chapter, and and mm-hmm. I think hopefully what we can do is a little of that passion will come through, and we can explain like why this one resonated. And we've, we've read like, I think last week's was really just kind of a monster chapter. That was hard to get your head around this one. Yeah. I think we can take a little bit more of a breather as far as that goes. We don't have to crush mm-hmm. through a bunch of content, but what's there is, is almost like nuclear powered. So mm-hmm. with that set up, I'll kick it to you did to, to do the thing where, you know, you tell everybody what happens in this chapter. It's probably a good yeah.
1: starting point. Yeah, it's a good, it is a good starting point. All right. So, uh, so start the chapter starts with, uh, Faramir waking uh, Frodo um, to show him something, and so Frodo agrees to come look at uh, what Faramir has asked, and so he follows him through the caves. Uh, Samwise, in his you know protective instinct, wakes up and follows them. Uh, so Faramir leads them to a ledge high up in the cliff face, uh, looking down on a pool um where one of Faramir's men are standing guard and watching, you know, this secret hide hiding spot. Uh, and they see that there's a a creature <laughs> swimming in the pool. <laughs> um, it's not a black squirrel. It's, it's not a black squirrel <laughs> and it's not a bird. <laughs> it is it is Smeagol and uh and so there's essentially there's uh, a question laid upon Frodo whether they shoot because um, uh, breaking into the pool and into Henneth and Noon at all carries the uh, penalty of death Hmm. and so um, Frodo uh, talks with Faramir begs him not to to shoot him down and offers to go down and try and capture Gollum and so they do that they capture Gollum and bring him up uh, and then Really, the rest of the chapter is kind of an interrogation, um, mm-hmm. some interrogation of Gollum, some uh, counsel to Frodo, and that's really where we end. Mm. Yeah, it's
0: it's interesting because we were talking before we hit record that this is kind of one of those chapters that doesn't drive the narrative. Like, you know, Gollum could have just as easily caught back up with Sam and Frodo whenever they leave um, Henneth and noon But mm-hmm. I think what what Tolkien is doing here is he's doing some character development, but I think even more than that, I think he's giving us hints into there's foreshadowing for what's going to happen at the end of the story, but there's also I think themes that really weave through the texture of the entire tale and show us a lot about Tolkien's worldview and about what he wanted to like in an idyllic fairy world, what he wanted to show us that maybe the way that we should be thinking about relationships, about the structure of the world and that sort of thing. And this is, we, we both agree, like this is a Frodo chapter. This yeah. is this is where he really is front and center and we have a lot to examine with him. And so I think yeah. I would kick it off here. Like the main themes of this, right, that we we said before are, I think, mercy, lordliness, hierarchy, um, mm-hmm. patience. But it's interesting in a chapter that's all about Frodo, one of the first things that it says about him and then I highlighted right away is it says that once he got out of bed and he was standing on the high stone, a shiver ran through him, and he wondered if anywhere in the vastness of the nightlands his old companions walked or slept or lay dead, mm-hmm. shrouded in mist. And he says, Why was I, he thinks, why was he brought out here? It's very interesting that Frodo, mm-hmm. in the midst of kind of a stressful situation, like what are we doing here? Like obviously yeah. you when you get woken up awakened in the middle of the night, like that's usually not something good you know right. and and his his thought his first conscious thought in this chapter is about what's going on with his friends and i think mm-hmm. that's that's a subtle clue right at the start about what kind of man frodo is that right. that he is very he is very concerned about the people that are you know that are his friends that are kind of tied up in this story with him that ultimately bear the fate of the doom that he's carrying right cuz he's mm-hmm. the main quest yeah. but he he sees it and he's always seen it as like other people have got brought into this through this heirloom that that he has like and yeah. he feels tremendous responsibility for everyone else right that's it's i i yeah. stuck that out as interesting because i think it gives us this first like where are we going with this chapter
1: yeah yeah and i i'd actually highlighted that line too uh you know cuz it's i do think it's an important character line Frodo, and I do think it's setting it's setting the stage that, uh, in a sense, that Frodo is an intercessor for all people um, because of the quest. The people that are directly tied to the quest, he you know he cares deeply about um, about their uh, their success in whatever they're doing, but also just that they're safe, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's it's paving the way for what he does with Gollum that. Mm-hmm. Gollum is not his friend, no, and and yet, <laughs> and yet, uh, you know, and yet Frodo is you know is interceding on his behalf in multiple like multiple kind of fashions in this chapter, mm-hmm. right? And I think we we get a
0: little outburst from Sam, right? Sam yeah. Sam's like, yeah, it's nice out here, nice view, but like, I don't know if that's worth getting woke up in the middle of the night when it's cold. <laughs> And Faramir's like, I mean, you don't get to complain. It's your own watchfulness that brought you up. You know, uh-huh. it's nothing a little bit of wine won't fix. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, yeah. and then, and then we roll, right? And I think I want to I want to draw some attention to as they get out, and Faramir asks his man Anborn about. He's kind of joking. There's a little bit of sarcasm here, right? That he says, "What is it? Is it a squirrel or a kingfisher?" Are there black kingfishers in the night pools of Mirkwood? And Anborn answers, "No, it's not anything like that. It's mastery." And then Faramir does this shrewd thing. It says that he turns quickly to Frodo, and he says, "Shall we shoot?" Because what mm-hmm. Faramir has done is he's not done the the you know exposition thing where he turns to Frodo. He's like, "I think this might be that creature that was following you around that you didn't want to talk about. Like, do you want us to shoot him?" Like Faramir just knows he. Mm-hmm. And he puts it right on Frodo right away. Like Frodo is going to have to explain himself. Frodo is going to have to do something here because mm-hmm. Faramir says, should we shoot to mm-hmm. come in? Here's death. Right. Yeah. Right. And Fro- Frodo really has to think about it. It's right. a, it's a tough situation. And I, I think yeah. we don't want to miss that. It's easy to get familiarity and to think, Oh, well, obviously he's not going to shoot.
1: I don't think it's not that obvious. Like there's a right. pause here. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and, Tolkien gives us the pause. Frodo did not answer for a moment. And then, no, he said, no, I beg you not to. Um, And so I do want to step back uh, because I don't know that we'll get a chance to talk about uh, Faramir's man Mm -hmm. here much more. Uh, I think because one of the themes we talked about is hierarchy. And so we know, and we'll we'll find out a little more a little later in the chapter. But we know that to to enter the pool or to enter just to enter this place carries the penalty of death. Mm-hmm. And I think, as a result of that, I don't think that Anborn would be questioned at all, right, for making the call on his own. That's probably why he's out there, right? Mm-hmm. They
0: set they set an armed guard out here because, and I, and I think it's just like there are certain places. Yeah, it's probably time. It'd probably be good to kind of talk about the story <laughs> a little bit, right? Like, why? Because uh-huh. it seems like, oh, well, you trespass, you get you die. Like that seems mm-hmm. unjust. But I think in this situation, yeah. you got to remember that this is a military outpost that's right. very secret in right. a land that's controlled by that's Mordor. Inim- that's enemy territory, right? So they're an excursion because right. basically, this thing to be found is death to all the men that are there, right? so you can't yeah. let the you cannot let the whereabouts of this thing out so right. from a military perspective it's an act of war to come into this right. this encampment so it right. is a just thing and right. amborna has all his archers out here like absolutely once he determined that it wasn't a fish you know or some <laughs> kind of animal right like to to enter here is to die and right. that's the safe thing for all the men and I think yep. we get into this weird, like, it's a tough, Tolkien asks these difficult ethical questions here as far mm-hmm. as justice goes. Right. Right. Because it absolutely would be just to kill Gollum for this, mm-hmm. for the men of Gondor.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, because, right, one excursion, and we know that Gollum talks to orcs, mm-hmm. right? Like, one excursion in and back out, reveal their secret, and this this entire battalion is dead, right? Mm-hmm. There's 300 dead men. Mm. <laughs> Sorry you to know. take
0: you off, but it, I think yeah. it's probably good. To, no. People, blow, you blow by that, and in our modern yeah. sensibilities, we would think like, "Man, that's cruel! You can't just kill somebody because they come
1: on your property." Yeah. It's like, yeah. remember where this is, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, and no, I th- I don't think that's too much of a stretch because it it helps us also establish that I think Amborn is well within his right to shoot without asking, mm-hmm. and. I, so what? What? So where I'm going with that is that it's suggestive to me um, about the hierarchy and the respect that the men have for Faramir. Mm-hmm. They, I think, they admire his wisdom and shrewdness. And so, and and this is a little off color. Like this creature is something they've <laughs> never seen before. Right. Um, well, it, we'll find out too that actually Anborn has been tracking him and can't catch him. Mm-hmm. So he's he's pretty sure of what it is. And so. You know, and so, but even in all that, he still goes to his to his master to say, "What's the right thing to do here?" Hmm. And and so, I to me, I think it's this little moment that's suggestive of a complicated matter that shows the trust that they have in their master. I do think this chapter is a lot about hierarchy, and so I think we're establishing that Faramir and Frodo are lordly men who have the love. Uh, of their servants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think and it kind of goes to yeah. both
0: of them too, right? Because Anborn and Faramir both know that this creature was with Frodo and Sam. Right. Right. Like they've identified that. And so even though it is the law of the land, Anborn, I think understands it like, Hey, we have guests here and we know like, that's weird. We've brought mm-hmm. guests like Faramir trust these, <clears throat> these people enough to bring them to this encampment. So should I like, I should probably run it up the chain before I kill the thing that was a companion with them. Mm -hmm. And I think, and then it shows the patience of Faramir to bring Frodo into it Mm -hmm. because what we, what we know about Faramir is that Faramir is wise and patient and he listens, but he's also shrewd and he prods and he, Mm he kinda knocks you off balance with his, with his questioning and with yep. the way that he talks and that's I think that's what he does to Frodo right he's trying to to knock him a little bit off balance be like well you're you're going to have to answer for this for this thing now right you you have to understand the stakes and and to his credit I think Frodo understands the stakes all too well like I think I think he understands really quickly and without much convincing that this is a really really important situation here in a really deadly yeah. perilous situation right. because he knows Gollum too you know, yep. and I think that'll run into being a main theme for us here. Also, is that that Frodo's not naive. Yep. Right. He right. he understands
1: Gollum. Right. <laughs> he even right to like, and it's right, it's right around the corner. He knows he knows Gollum's motive for being in the pool. Mm-hmm. That he's hungry. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, you know that he's not necessarily up to sneaking out or, you know, ferreting out the men's hideaway that he's hungry Mm -hmm. and Faramir or Frodo sees that. Um, It doesn't change that Gollum shouldn't be sneaking around here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, I think the other little interlude is, is the Sam Mm -hmm. spot. Um, Because we know that, we know that Sam has no warmth for Gollum. (laughs) We know that there's a black cloud settled over him. But we also know, and we talked about it in the last episode, how Sam is learning to be subject to his master. Mm-hmm. I think it's been revealed to him that Frodo is not naive, mm-hmm. that Frodo fully understands what's at stake and what's going on, that Gollum's not tricking Frodo in any way. Right. It's, and, it's, and as it's a interesting that, how it
0: says it, right? I'm sure you're going there. That It yeah. says if Sam had dared, yes. he, he would have said yes quicker and louder. He could not yeah. see, but he guessed well enough from their words what they were looking at. Yeah, right. Sam doesn't like Gollum whatsoever. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Sam thinks that Gollum does deserve to pay, you know, for right. his treachery and all that kind of stuff. But it's interesting right. that it says if Sam had dared, and that's where we we get our thing. If he had dared, why would he not dare? That's mm-hmm. because of Frodo. Yeah, right? That right. He he would be afraid, because because that's what dared means, right? That Sam Sam would fear crossing his master in this way. Yeah. And I think we don't often think of Frodo that way that mm-hmm. that he has gravitas that Sam falls in line under him and that yep. and that there is a there is a natural fear involved with that master servant relationship mm-hmm. that that the master has power in that relationship. Right. And I think we are moder- we just hate that. <laughs> yeah. We're so egalitarian that we run from that. But it, right. it's right here, and Tolkien definitely yeah. is giving it, giving it to us, because he's about to. This is subtle, and he's about to make it really clear when it goes on, mm-hmm. like this, because he he goes deeper into this master bond servant kind of thing, right. almost like Philemon, <laughs> right? Yeah. We're gonna, yeah. we're gonna get into it, and he doesn't shirk away from it. He doesn't care about the modern sensibility, and I think right. that's really interesting, right? Absolutely. So, w- so where do you want to go?
1: Yeah. So I think. Um... So, there's a reveal, and I don't know if there's much to say, um, but, you know, he Frodo reveals to Faramir um, that Gollum's going to follow him, no matter where he goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, he still, interestingly, hasn't revealed that Gollum is has been their guide. Um, right. So, it's, I think, again, like, Frodo's shrewdness in return <laughs> mm-hmm. to, to never give too much away, mm-hmm. I think, that elf-like quality that... You know that we've been observing in him in tense situations like this, but he does reveal that Gollum at one time bore the the heirloom that Frodo mm. now carries, uh, and and I think that that kind of spins Faramir around. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it knocks him off balance. Faramir says he breathes sharply. He bore mm-hmm. it, and then Frodo's playing the game right back. Like mm-hmm. Frodo says, "Yeah." It is precious to him, but that's. But I didn't speak of that. Hmm. <laughs> he says, "What then does the creature seek?" Fish said Frodo. Yep. Look, yeah, and then we we get this deal that Gollum, man. It, so it's it's a hard thing with Gollum, isn't it? That on the one sense he is miserable and wretched and pitiful, yeah. but on the other sense, like he is he is really like a crafty, mm-hmm. kind of marvelous creature in a way. Right, yeah. like he he is really something from a like a sneaky physical like quickness perspective. That he's just right.
1: jumping in the water, grabbing fish out of the water. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and Anborn says that he has a mastery of the craft of diving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You know. So, and we we get examples like that all over, and it is it's really a shame that he he can't turn and be a force for good you know sam's offer to him two chapters ago like if you would have it you know i would make these meals for you if you would be on our side essentially Mm -hmm. is the offer yeah um and he he could be a powerful agent for them much Mm -hmm. like much like saruman could have
0: yeah i think i think this whole thing because we're about to see like what what faramir does is so wise and i think you set the scene in your mind because, because Faramir even talks about Ithil being over them. Like he names the moon and the silvery yep. light is over this whole thing. There's this interplay that's going to come at the end about being, you know, Frodo's going to mention minus Ithil that, that they're going to go by. And so I think in the background here is this idea that Faramir is this kind of, he's this kingly man. And so what he's about to do is he's about to dispense kingly justice because Anborn mm-hmm. presses him again. Like Gollum is in there diving like a madman, frog-like, catching fish. And Faramir kind of laughs. Like it's, it's one of those things like, man, it's it's got to be incredible to watch him doing that. Right? Mm-hmm. And he says, this may cost him all he has to give, these fish. And Anborn asks him, like, I have him lined up. Should I not mm-hmm. shoot? The law says, you know, coming to this place unbidden, death is our law. Are we going to mm-hmm. set aside the law? And Mm -hmm. Faramir says this thing, it's it's really interesting how he says it, and I would draw attention to the language, because I think there's something there. He says, wait, Amborn, this is a harder matter than it seems. What have you to say now, Frodo? Why should we spare? Mm -hmm. It's stilted a little bit. I think the men of Gondor, you know, this this book comes after the Rohirrim, and we got kind of their thing, which is kind of a speech that's more earthy, a little bit more sing-song and joking yeah, in poetic. a way mm-hmm. where the men of Gondor speak in a way that almost sounds kind of like Saruman would speak yeah. a little bit uh, a more learned like mm-hmm. they more the, formal the sentence structure is kind of that mm-hmm. way and mm-hmm. and Faramir gives away here that he just laughed but then he's drawing right back to this matter of he's putting on his judge's robes Here, right, and he's about to make a judicial decision about whether to give the death penalty or not. Mm -hmm. And and he does see that this is it's not so easy to him as hey, came into the pool unbidden. The only reason that it's not so easy to him, I think, is because of his understanding of Frodo and the quest and the fate of the world and like basically the greater matters going on. Like there's Mm -hmm. more evidence to hear Mm -hmm. other than just shooting. Right. And I think then we get into the interchange, and I don't yeah. know. It's it's probably the meat, right, as w- yeah. as we get into this section. That's probably what this book, what this chapter is really all about.
1: Yeah. Because photo
0: so, is going to reveal, right?
1: Yeah. So this is an interesting uh, thought I had, and it puts you on the spot. But okay. You know the story, right? Like, we know how things go. Mm-hmm. But the emotion side, like, do you feel like... I'll just admit it for myself. Like I feel like Amborn should let loose the hero.
0: (laughs) I think that every time I've ever read this story, until this time, I thought Sam was right. They should have shot him. Mm -hmm. I think this time reading through, I think that Tolkien, in thinking carefully about it, I think he's almost led me by the nose to feel more like Frodo this time. To where I kind of, I don't know, it's it's weird to say, because I know the story almost like the back of my hand, right? But it, it's weird for me to say is, like, it feels like there is hope for Gollum.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It feels like this is not the way that he should be taken down, that he's almost too graceful a creature. Like, he's, it's almost, there's almost this hope, like, man, he is he is so skillful. Like, he is so pitiful. Like, he mm-hmm. he is fawning, like, I I kind of look at it through Frodo's eyes this time around, and I I think Mm -hmm. I have been led that way. I think I think the passage of the marshes is where we where most of the work was done. I think to make me feel the way that I feel about it Mm -hmm. is that there was there is a struggle inside Gollum. Yeah, that that there is tension inside of him that he is grappling with repentance in a way that a greater being, you know, Saruman didn't grappled for maybe a second. I think Gollum's been in agony. For yeah. days now, at this point in the book, yeah, and I think Baggins has not been what he thought, and I yeah. think he's been
1: thrown for a loop. Yeah, it's interesting. uh that, I know we did, we didn't pre-plan that, but <laughs> I think it's interesting because I think the emotion side of me feels like they should take him out, mm-hmm. and it is interesting because, right? I think the the path of wisdom transcends kind of the emotional. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Not that your emotions don't matter. Right. But wisdom sorts out the I think the root of why an emotion is there. Mm. And
0: that is such a that's such a great thing to say, because I think that really is what Frodo appeals to first is he appeals to wisdom. Because the Mm -hmm. first thing Frodo does is he goes greater than himself. Right. He says Mm -hmm. Gandalf would have bidden you not to slay him. Because he's, why? Because he's wretched and hungry. Yeah. Like the pity of Gandalf, right? The pity of Bilbo, the pity of Aragorn, the pity of the wood elves, you know, to let him out of the fortress to get a breath of fresh air. And now it goes again to the pity of, you know, Faramir, the captain of Gondor, this great man, right? Mm -hmm. The the number two in Gondor. And I, I think there's this, Man, that's where Tolkien gets the hierarchy, right? Is that Mm -hmm. to feel pity for those who are wretched, for those who are are poor, who are oppressed, that is a characteristic of what should be like the chivalrous, Mm -hmm. kind of the lordly class, is that they should have pity for those
1: who are in dire straits, who are in bad situations. And I'm going to maybe send this a little bit tangential. I think just in the plight of where we are in the West currently, Hmm. I think that's what we lost. Hmm. It's not, it's not, I don't, I I really believe that it's not the middle people. It's the lordly people who abandon the lowly people. Hmm. And I I think that's what we had early in the country and through much of our history. And I, I just, I see that. I don't see that that's, in existence. I think the lordly people are in it for their own gain, for their own bellies now.
0: Mm. Um, yeah, I think we, you know, I was I was listening to someone talking about this morning. I think, you, you know, when you look at George Washington, jo- George Washington cared about the people of his state, and so he put his neck out there. You know, he could have very well been hung for treason mm-hmm. had he lost the war. He had broke the law, broke the king's yeah. law, and and i think our our early founders were really burdened for the rights of those that were yeah the the you know not the gentry but the the yeah. lower class that are the you know that are the people that feed a nation you know yeah. it's it's always the labor that creates the wealth that's kind of mm-hmm. on the top and i think that's right. the way god designed the world there's nothing wrong with that we are going to be ruled yeah. by we are going to be ruled by the king with an iron scepter and we're going to labor as we were intended to labor before the fall, you know, without the sweat of our brow and toil. Mm-hmm. But we're still gonna labor, and the beneficiary yeah. of that's gonna be the king. Yeah. But he's a benevolent, yeah. wise king who is gonna who is going to look out for all the good of all of his subjects and his people. Right. Tolkien gets that here. Yeah. Faramir Faramir like and think about it, that Frodo thinks in the worldview of the Lord of the Rings here, in the worldview of Tolkien Tolkien, Frodo thinks this is his most convincing argument. Mm-hmm. Right? He leads right. with this. <clears throat> this is yeah. the good stuff. Is that he's wretched and hungry. Gandalf pitied him. He yeah. forbade the elves who are high beings. Gandalf forbade the elves from slaying him. I don't know why. Okay, mm-hmm. but this creature is in some way bound up with my errand. Yeah, and then he gives the big yeah. reveal. Before, right. until you found us and took us, he was my guide. Right, man, and that's yeah. got to be a kill. Like, Faramir did not see that coming. I don't think. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's yeah, and there's a line. I'll, I'll read the line, but I also I, you know, that was a point I didn't really mean to take us off track, but I think there's something that's just kind of we. I think the hierarchy thing was really clear, but as we're starting to unpack, even I think something about Frodo's pause before he answers Faramir not to shoot. Mm -hmm. It feels like it's, you know, it's him battling the emotion of eliminating the threat. Mm -hmm. But because, because Frodo is not cowardly, he falls back to his wisdom of of what's going on and as you've already laid out for us appealed to it and it, it kind of didn't really hit me until just now, even though I've read it a couple times this week and we pre-gamed for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um so and like such is the depth of <laughs> of these stories. Mm-hmm. Um so I'll transition now. Yeah, so so Frodo reveals that Gollum is their guide. He says, "This matter becomes even stranger. I would do much for you, Frodo, but this I cannot grant." And so, what he does is he weigh, He says, basically, "I can't." He either has to be slain or taken, right? Mm. He cannot. Gollum cannot be left to roam. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. And so, and, Frodo, and slain if not taken yeah.
0: swiftly, because it's really right. hard to catch him.
1: Right. Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: How are right. because he asked, he's like, How are we gonna catch him? How yeah. are we gonna catch him other than putting him at the point of an arrow? Because right. he what's he say? It's interesting, he says, How can this slippery thing of many guises be caught save by a feathered shaft? Like mm. catching Gollum, easier said than done. It took it took days and days for the greatest hunter that the mm-hmm. world's seen probably since Arome. You know, yeah. <laughs> there's your Silmarillion thing. That that Aragorn, it takes him forever to catch track of him and to get a hold of him. And Aragorn's as skillful as it gets. Gollum is maybe the hardest thing to catch there is in Middle Earth. Like he is he can climb trees, he can swim like a fish, he's mm-hmm. dark, he can be silent, he has the senses of like he just he hears and smells. Like he is yep. really something. Like he's a he. Yep. In a lot of ways, he really is a marvelous creature, as far as yep. that goes. And and Faramir right. sees it like so sly a thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And and Frodo pr- proposes, man. If this this is like slam dunk argument for the priestliness of Frodo too, right? Right. Like, what, is, what right does what does Frodo do? Yeah. He says, "Let me go down. Let me mediate. Essentially, yep. let me go down to him." You may keep your bows bent and shoot me at least if I fail. I shall not run away. Man, if that's not Christological, I don't know what it is. <laughs> and, and look what he does. We miss it because we we hide it. I'm on this because of Galatians right now. We, we hide this in this flowery <laughs> thing right where we think, well, yeah, of course Jesus was going to die on the cross. That's what the father did but but it's really like this. Frodo's saying, no, I will go down the here and I will die. For Gollum. Yeah. Gollum hates baggins. Right. Gollum's evil. Frodo Gollum knows hates- he knows full well. Yeah. So why Gollum hates men? Right. That's the question. Why? And I think we're gonna answer that. I think we're gonna get there. But I don't want man, that is a that is a paragraph there. Like mm-hmm. I'm willing to die for Gollum. Man, he he laces it in. It's the priestliness of him. Frodo is a mediator. He does this over and over again that he he tries to step between. He tries to make a way. And Faramir agrees. And I think it's kind of an amazing thing that Faramir agrees.
1: Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's the trust. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Well, and Yeah. Uh yeah, so I think there. I mean, then we're ar- immediately back into something interesting because mm-hmm. so Frodo creeps down to the edge and he hears Gollum talking to himself. Yep. And <laughs> he, I think we just got to read it. Yep. He says, "Fish, nice fish. White face has vanished, my precious. At last, yes. Now we can eat fish in peace. No, not in peace, precious. For precious is lost." yes lost dirty hobbits nasty hobbits gone and left us golem and precious is gone only poor Smeagol all alone no precious nasty men they'll take it steal my precious thieves we hates them fish (laughs) nice fish makes us strong makes eyes bright fingers tight yes throttle them precious throttle them all yes if we gets chances nice fish nice fish (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> and to add to that, Tolkien says that it went on almost as unceasing as the waterfall, mm-hmm. right? And the only thing that interrupts it is the noise of slavering and gurgling, right? Or mm-hmm. he's just billowing mm-hmm. around in the water. So yeah, what is Frodo doing, right? like He's putting his life on the line to go save this creature who sounds just like us, right? Yeah. Does he not? Like, what do we do? Nasty thieves that take all our stuff. We yeah. covet. All we want is food for our bellies. We'll get back. Yeah. We'll pay back everybody that ever did anything to us. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think he is pointing at that. That It's interesting that what Gollum has done now is, is Gollum's kind of back to the start now. That, that Gollum's sitting here cursing, essentially. Yeah. There's right. nothing nice that he's saying. The only thing he's happy about is filling up his belly but he is, he is stewing around in his own self-pity and his own malice, right? Look how yeah. quickly violence comes out. He wants to throttle them. It's not good enough to get away. It's not good enough to try to sneak through. He wants to go rip all their necks, you know? Right. And it's his delusions of grandeur, too. It's a big talk. Right. <laughs>
1: right. right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and calling, you know, I think, and kind of interspersed. It's funny because, like, it's his passion. It's kind of a tie back, I think to, you know, what he said, if he had reclaimed the precious is he'd have (laughs) fresh fish three times a day, you know, it's like, but he's in his kind of in his slobbering language. He, you know, he speaks to the passions of his belly. Right. And so I think too, like the mouth is the overflow of the heart and it's, you know, Gollum follows his lust all the way to all the way down. Right. Mm -hmm. The passion of his, the lust of his belly is the fish, right? The lust of his covetousness, you know, is the precious that either the hobbits or the men have. Mm -hmm. Right. And so he wants to eliminate them and it's, you know, and he just, he's, he's so pathetic because he can only see, he can only see through his lens of greed and, and desire
0: and I think it's at this point that we probably get – I think we, we get the big expose on this because we get, we get Frodo's internal struggle. And I think mm-hmm. it's so good that I think, I think we have to read it too. It says, mm-hmm. Frodo shivered, listening with pity and disgust. He wished it would stop and that he'd never need hear that voice again. Anborn was not far behind. He could creep back and ask him to get the huntsman to shoot. That would probably get close enough while Gollum was gorging and off his guard. Only one true shot, and Frodo would be rid of that miserable voice forever. But no, Gollum had a claim on him now. The servant Mm -hmm. has a claim on the master for service, even Mm -hmm. service in fear. They would have foundered in the dead marshes, but for Gollum. Frodo knew, too, somehow, quite clearly, that Gandalf would not have wished it. Mm -hmm. Man, that is a monster paragraph. Mm -hmm. I think it says so much while saying, like, in so few words. You could expand this thing. I think a lot of authors write three pages about this monologue and he does it so quick and it's this internal temptation, right? It's the one that Sam had that he wanted to dare. Frodo is not naive. He understands, right? He -hmm. understands what Gollum is trying to do. He's listening to him, right? He understands that he's treacherous, that eventually he will try to take the ring. Mm -hmm. He knows that he has to do that in this line and i think we have to unpack it cuz i think it's the meat of the whole deal. He says, hmm. "Golem had a claim on him now. The servant yeah. has a claim on the master for service, even service in fear." Our modern understand we don't even know how to make sense of that line. No. I don't even know. I you know, well, even for me it makes me like I don't really fully understand it. I,
1: I think I think that so the closest we can get I think, to this kind of relationship is the Mm employee-employer, at least in in our context. And even that is so broken and so destroyed because I can remember when I was, I don't know, in my teens, kind of moving toward a career, like whatever that was going to be, that there's this idea, and we saw it, I think most of our you know, probably most people our age as parents and definitely their grandparents likely worked for one company their whole career. Mm -hmm. And there's this idea that I think that the servant has a claim on the master for service is that the servant does the master's will Mm -hmm. and the master covers the servant. Mm -hmm. And so there's this idea that you, again, it's, I think it's a much lesser picture what we experience than what is probably a more historical picture. But it's this idea that a man works for a company for 35 years and the company takes care of the man.
0: Yeah. The, the and, man in a sense gave the company his life. Right. Right. And I That's think right. that like, I'm, I'm deep in it. Like I've been fortunate enough. I've been fortunate enough from the, the loyalty of the organization I'm in, but also yep. I mean, I've, I've worked my entire adult life in the same school system and they've been very good to me. And, and so I would say like they've had, they've had most of the labor of my adult life. And I think there is some expectation that I have that I have a claim for service
1: from them. Right. Right. They should not fire me tomorrow. Right. (laughs) Right. Meanwhile, (laughs) right. Meanwhile, what I came out of and I've been out of for a while, um, was a very large corporation that I would say that early on in my career, I felt that that would be true. Mm -hmm. And as I went on and saw that there was no, uh, I think that there was no claim on the master because the master lusted after his own belly. Mm -hmm. I saw many people with decades of tenure get laid off for you know, specious reasoning. Mm-hmm. And it's like, look, I, I can, you can argue the pragmatic business side, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's just a dollars and cents issue, but it's not because it's someone's life. Right. And this person, right, gave, right, gave loyalty for their entire working life mm. to grow in knowledge in understanding in practice, in culture, you know, and that's the big thing, I think, in the corporate thing now those Mm -hmm. are the those are the culture carriers and they just right are gone and and what i see now is people younger than me because the masters have done this Mm -hmm. there's there's zero claim at all the average work tenure now for a millennial is three years at a company it's kind of because they and and
0: i think what we do Man, we're really off a tangent, but I think it's a good one. It's like I think I think what what we do is we as especially me, like as kind of an older guy, like I'm Gen X, right? And what we do is we look at them and go, "Well, they have no loyalty." Not so fast. I think what mm-hmm. we understand is they actually see the truth of the matter because they live in a world where they understand all too well what the loyalty is. That's right. And so they have done. Whereas people my age and older were in our formative years brought up in a world where there was this loyalty. And so we expect loyalty where there is none. Right. And it starts at the top. It does. Right? It, it has yeah. to start at the top. You can't be loyal to an entity that's going to cut your head off mm-hmm. the first time that it's going to save them, you know, 0.25% on the revenue, on their cost next year. Yep. Right. You know, like that's, and I think that's yeah. the thing now it can go too far where you let people that are you know that sort of thing but I think it's interesting because what what Tolkien does in this text is he takes it to the absolute extreme right he doesn't yeah. say he doesn't just say the master that, that the servant has a claim on the master for service he goes one step further and he says even service in fear mm-hmm. like like Frodo has a obligation to Gollum even though the whole promise was made based on you know Gollum, being treacherous and the fear, like he had to threaten him basically. And even though that's the way it started, he still has a claim on him. And then it's interesting to steal himself and to remember it. He does the thing. And I think this is the biggest marker of a Christian that there is in the world. I really do. Mm -hmm. I think true Christians talk this way and think this way because what he does immediately is he thinks about thankfulness. He looks at Gollum and he's grateful because he remembers we would have died in that swamp Mm-hmm. If it hadn't been for Gollum, yeah, and so it, like he has a claim.
1: Yeah, it reminds me of the when we saw sung Psalm seventy eight. I think two weeks ago, mm. right. The whole point, the whole point of the psalm, is to remind God's people of thankfulness for what God has done. Right? Mm. Did Israel deserve to cross through the Red Sea and escape the arm, armies of Egypt? No, <laughs> but he did it. Did they deserve to be fed out in the wilderness? No. Because the servant had the claim on the master. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the master yeah. took care of the servant. And we may not always understand the means, but I think but the ends are always clear that right, that the master takes care of the servant. And even when the servant is wretched, pitiful, <laughs> right, mm-hmm. unworthy, uh, then It doesn't matter. Like the claim is there regardless. Yeah. I think,
0: I think this chapter, it starts to occur to me now. I think why I like it so much is this is one of the most breathtakingly Christian chapters in the whole Mm. book. Like Mm it's, it's just right. It's, it's all over the place. The, the worldview, like it's an amazing thing and an honorable thing. And we just, we just really don't have much context. And, and we get even more insight. Like as, as it moves on here, we get even more insight into like how undeserving Gollum is. He doesn't trust, Frodo at all. Mm-hmm. He, he has no trust, you know, because Frodo is going to eventually like. They get in this conversation, right? Frodo starts whispering at him, telling him, "Hey, you have to come up here." Gollum just flatly refuses, like, "No, I'm not coming. You're a bad, Master. Mm-hmm. You left me," which is not true, right? Not true yeah. at all. And Gollum yeah. knows it's not true. Mm-hmm. Right. Gollum presumably heard the conversation. Like he he's always around. He knows what's mm-hmm. going on. You know, so so there they go. And and Frodo eventually has to threaten him with the only thing that Gollum will respect, which is the precious itself. Right. Yeah. He he threatens him and that that gets Gollum because Gollum is just too completely enslaved to this thing. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> and and Frodo's already said it. Like if I bid you with the master, with the precious, to throw yourself in fire, you would do it. Yeah. And at this point, like that was prescient because that's what Frodo does here. He's, he he right. says like, if you don't come, like I'm going to put a curse on you through the precious, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's a real offer. I think the ring has the power. I yeah. think to do things like that. Don't don't forget right. the power of the ring. It's not just a piece of metal. Right. Like it it is a it is a thing that has there is real energy in it there is real power in it yeah I know I, I kind of right. run through an interlude there that
1: yeah. did you have anything to yeah. add there no I think it's um I think the <clears throat> it's the last part where basically they uh, I think I'm ready to move on where yeah. you know they they come to get him I think this line too right it's the um just how uh, I think how flimsy. You know, Gollum's. Uh, I think his relationship is, or at least in for his part, right? So they come, to, they come out and get him. He says something's there, not a hobbit. <clears throat> a green light was flickering in his bulging mm. eyes. He turned back, master, master. He hissed, "Wicked, tricksy, false." He spat and stretched out his long arms with white snapping fingers. Right. I mean, I I read that as he's turning to throttle Frodo, mm-hmm. and it's the irony of. Frodo, Frodo put his life in front of Gollum to protect him, and and he's done so. He's protected Gollum through capture, and Gollum wants to murder him for it. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's yeah. Frodo,
0: Frodo knows he's not going to understand. He tries to explain. He says, "They won't hurt you. I'll go with you, and you will come to no harm, not unless they kill me too." Trust, Master. Gollum spits on him again. Don't right. miss the crossout. Like it's right here, right? Yep. The they they spit on him, Gollum spits at the offer, and it is a real offer. Frodo would rather die. He's already proven that Frodo will not let them kill Gollum. He's put his life in front and Gollum here fe- or Frodo feels wretched. he feels like he had to trick him. that's how that's the honesty of frodo right mm-hmm. that he is he is virtuous to the core that he doesn't want it it, Faramir, it reminds me Faramir had said early in their meeting right that I wouldn't tell falsehoods even to an orc. Mm-hmm. To trick him, so it is with Frodo that even to save Gollum's life, he tap dances around the truth. they yeah. can't tell him an outright falsehood, even to save him, right. You know, it's it's an interesting thing. It's a really tough situation that he's in. Um, yeah. and there we there we go, right? yeah, the <laughs> the deal is done. We know now yep. that Gollum has broken, right? Yeah, yeah this this is the end of him. This is the end of his tension because now now Gollum has actually in his mind built up that he's actually seen the tricky, wicked baggins that he right. thought he had in the first place, and so he's gonna use this right to turn into the schemer again with really no hesitation about what he wants to do. he wants to kill right. and destroy again,
1: yeah, and it's and I think it's I think it's important you know, as we go on, is that he's made his ears deaf to hear mm-hmm. Because cause Frodo did explain to him what the peril was and Faramir explains to him that if not for Frodo, he'd be dead and he can't even hear it.
0: He mm-hmm. can't,
1: he can't hear the reality of the situation mm. because of his, his extremely shallow, uh, you know, wisdom. Mm.
0: It's, it's interesting to me. I, I highlight as they, as they get going on, Faramir tells him that, you know, that it's the death penalty for being here with these fish and Gollum, Mocks him and says, "A few little fishes, nasty bony fishes for a poor creature," and they say, "Death!" So wise they are, so just, so very just. Is it this the cry of all the self-victimized? Like, oh, mm-hmm. how how just you are, you know, without, you know, with your with your laws. They get me. And Mary mm-hmm. and answers. He says, "Not very wise, but just. Yes, perhaps, just as our little wisdom allows." And I mean, Faramir knows that this this creature is murdered. He knows yeah. he knows that there's evil in him. And that's where we get to kind of the really we jump back to the narrative. Mm-hmm. Right? Cuz it, it gets to what's going to happen now. Right? Yeah. What how do how do we get out of this situation cuz Faramir's already said like we can't let him go. And I, I think the resolution of it is that Faramir just shows enormous trust in Frodo. Yeah, by by telling him like I'm gonna I'm gonna surrender you to your master, mm-hmm. right? What a, what right. an amazing it's a it's an amazing thing that he does, and he also gives Frodo leave to be in Gondor, right for a year. Yeah, right. A kingly decree that he's made his yep. justice. He's he's made his judgment, mm-hmm. and Sméagol is now bound to Frodo explicitly for life. Right there will be no questioning again if Smeagol's ever found out of the out of the protective covering of frodo right, right. he's shot on sight
1: yeah yeah and it's yeah i mean again to the christology like what what happens to the sinner that's outside of the protective covering of of christ mm. you know
0: yeah we we have no protection once you know you know the warning passages in hebrews tell you that that there's no salvation who for those who have tasted and then trampled underfoot the blood of Christ. Okay, yeah. that's not enough for us. What Gollum? What Gollum is eventually going to do that ends up in his death is that he tramples underfoot, you know, the mercy of his master, mm-hmm. and that the curses of the precious do come down on him. And it's right. all it, it is being so foreshadowed here. I had forgotten right. the way that, you know, he's he's setting this up, this epic, you know, this kind of tragedy. Right? Yeah. Gollum's part of the tragedy. And I think probably yeah. to end, we yeah. we jump back on the path where Gollum tells him where we're going. Um, right. And that is the Dread the Dread Tower in the High Pass that's called Kirith Ungol. And yeah. Faramir does not like that at all. No.
1: <laughs> no. And, and Gollum um. doesn't like to name it either.
0: It says that right. he, he squealed as if somebody stabbed him.
1: Though. And even, yeah, and even pretends that he doesn't really know the name right? or that what does the name mean. Mm-hmm. But it took a lot to get it out of him. And it feels
0: like we were there early you know, with, with the naming of things and like saying words, and we're kind of back to that here. It's like just naming this thing is something that Gollum's like, ooh, this could ruin my whole plan to even mm-hmm. call this thing what it is because it's such yeah. a wicked place. Right, So Faramir gives warnings, right? right? Yep, yep. We think you do unwisely, he's wicked. Faramir wisely says that he might not be wholly wicked, but malice eats it like a canker, and the evil is Mm -hmm. growing. He will lead you to no good. Frodo says, basically, he's going to follow no matter what, and I've promised to take him under my protection and to go where he led. You would not ask me to break faith with him. Faramir says, no, but my heart would. Yeah. It seems less evil to counsel another man to break troth than to do
1: so oneself. What mm -hmm. a line. Frodo has no choice. Yeah. I think, yeah, yeah, I agreed. And I think it harkens back to my question earlier, like the emotion of the moment, is that my heart, right? And I think Frodo's heart would have had them, like, my heart in the reading, I'm sitting here, right, (laughs) outside of it, my heart would slay Gollum. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but but there's there's something deeper, right? The hier the hierarchy and the mercy are in play, and they have to be in play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because because they're bound to Frodo, and Frodo's a wise and just master.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, is that are you kind of at the stopping point? I think so. I have one thing, one last thing, okay. and it's this in a chapter about hierarchy, it's very interesting to me how this chapter ends. And -hmm. that is that there's an acknowledgement that Faramir actually acknowledges that Frodo's higher than him because we Mm -hmm. know he said, it says that he rose and bowed low to Frodo.
1: That's Mm -hmm. not a
0: courtesy bow, right? He bows low to Frodo and he draws the curtain and passes out into the cave. Basically the idea here is Faramir understands that he's just encountered greatness too. Yep. He sees okay. all this, and he sees the stern stuff that Frodo's made of. And, man, it's yeah. missed opportunities with the movie, and I, we've we've really been oh, disciplined staying away from it. But I think, <laughs> I think it is interesting here that no one would think, like in our sensibilities, we think, man, this captain of the guard, like he's this grand Numenorian, but he bows mm-hmm. low to Frodo. And, and yeah. the reason why is because mercy and grace is the most divine thing that we can see as human beings. Yeah. And Faramir recognizes it. He will not, not in- break his word for his own life.
1: Right. I think it also, um, I think it kind of takes me back. We talked about Baron in the pregame. Mm-hmm. You know, we were really talking about Aragorn, but it ta- it takes me back to in the Council of Elrond where they're talking about, um, I believe Elrond is talking about how this is a Baron level burden Mm-hmm. that's been laid on Frodo, and he, mm-hmm. he meets the challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, I think, in a sense, like, that's what Faramir's bowing to, mm-hmm. right? He's, he's bowing to a lordliness on a footing with Baron.
0: Right. Yeah, this is one of the great deeds in the history of the world that's going yeah. on. This little This little hobbit with so much virtue, with so much grace, with so much mercy and truth is going to walk into hell. Yeah. For the world, right? And Fairbear's is just all. What can he do but bow to that? Yeah. Like, what an incredible thing. Yep. Well, your turn or my turn? I can't remember. <laughs> I lost it again. I did too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I want to say it's my turn.
0: I think it's probably your turn. We may get two in a row. I think it is your turn.
1: We've done a couple times of two in a row. So yeah. Oh well. Whatever. It's, it's all. It's all good. We both have to speak anyway. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I think... Man. I think the the thought to roam with is... Uh, I think it has to be... For me, I'm going to point it to the specific thing of Frodo's grace in hearing the talk of Gollum. Hmm. And so I think there, you know... I think he could still play off grace, but I think there's something about hearing firsthand the wretchedness, the babble, the, I think the dirtiness of the things Gollum is saying and still saying, right after, right. He thinks about it mm-hmm. again. That's the emotion versus wisdom that we're talking about. Um, is that he Hearkens to wisdom, hearkens to hierarchy and hearkens to mercy to say, even in the midst of all that is that I'm going to go stand in front and I'm going to die for that. So where I think where the application lies is for us, right? Look, I, I think everyone like everyone's given some level of hierarchy in their life. Some are some are given more, right? And and we see that in this story. Like this is a story of kings, and and lords. And Theoden is a great king. Faramir is a great lord. And Aragorn's greater than all of them, mm-hmm. right? They're all given different levels of hierarchy and responsibility, and they're expected to do it with virtue, um, with truth, and with wisdom. And so, I think the point is whatever hierarchy we're given whatever ugliness we see underneath it is that we're still beholden to go stand in front of it. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard charge.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm going to stay in the same vein. Um, okay. And it's, I think this applies to absolutely everybody that's a Christian. Um, it does not apply to people who aren't Christians, but mm. they will be soon. But yeah, I'll say it this way. The the same deal that the servant has a claim on the master for service. Mm. And I think what we've done in the church in America especially is that we've actually turned this on its head where we've made it to where the pastors demand service from their members, like to pay us, to tell us we're doing great, to give us gifts in pastor appreciation month in October, to to do to do all these things. And I think what we lose a lot of time is that actually the position of hierarchy We talk about servant leadership all the time without actually ever putting meat on the bones. We just say it in piety to make ourselves feel like, oh, see how humble I am. I'm a servant leader. Mm -hmm. While really what we want to do is get service from people. And it it occurred to me, like, you know, as a pastor, that it's really important, I think, to remind your congregants, to remind people in the church that, that actually they have a claim on their pastor for service. That that's actually the direction that this works, right? That mm-hmm. the the pastor has this leadership that have this authority, but the way that authority is spilled out is by giving service to those who are under the authority. That can be praying with it, can be grieving with it, can be you know the sharing of meals, building those relationships. It can be in the hard times doing counseling. It can be you know helping you build something, whatever. I think we get it backwards, and that's where we get this shifting congregational thing where people don't have loyalty to the church they're in. They leave. I think it's just like the corporate world that you set up. I think think that we leave the church, that we don't think about it. It's not a weighty decision for us because what Mm -hmm. we've lost is the pastors actually have – there's a claim on service to them. Mm -hmm. And when a pastor does that, when a pastor serves their people, that builds – this loyalty, and we see it like Sam, the the one, the servant who's walked with Frodo the longest, has unwavering loyalty, mm-hmm. and the reason why is because Frodo just delivers service time and time again. Frodo mm-hmm. is, Frodo is unrelenting in the way that he gives service to everyone. It's about we see it in this chapter. Everyone in this chapter is below Frodo, yeah. everyone, right? right? And and what he does is he lays his life down. He serves. He's courteous. He, you know, he doesn't just roll over and give in to Faramir's mm-hmm. commands. In fact, he interposes against them, right? Yep. But he does it in such a way that there's a claim on his service. And I, I think it's a good thing for everyone in authority to remember that. I think it's especially important, you know, to tell people that are Congress that that hold me responsible. You know, even if three people at our church <laughs> listen to this, like, you have a claim on my service, right? Mm-hmm. It's an important thing. And I don't have choices about that unless I want to be a terrible leader, a Right, you know, to use the word, a terrible master in that sense. Yeah. So that's yeah. it for this chapter. We're, we're about to, things are about to get dark really fast as, uh, as next week we do the, the journey to the crossroads. So until then, uh, have a good week and keep reading The Lord of the Rings and keep reading all kinds of good things and thinking deeply about them. We'll see you next time.